football book is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here, Media Row, and it's getting crazy here. Uh, there's uh, Sam, there are these old viral clips of uh, Chris Berman, Bill O'Reilly, you know, people that just like yell at everybody on the set yeah. that they caught with a hot mic. And I'm trying to get the people around here to keep it down. It's very loud and obnoxious. We're live. I don't think you're going to succeed in getting everybody in this room to shut the Do hell up. Do they realize that we are live on the PFF NFL podcast? I know. We're dead smack in the middle of the room, so it doesn't help. We've been talking uh, all week about how, you know, it'd be cool to have one of these sets out here on the perimeter. You know, the, the big fans, the big wig ones, the yeah. guys, you know, the, the real people. But you want to be careful because Chris Sims over here just what did he do? getting off his set. Wait, watch this. Here we go. Chris oh, walks over and then, uh, 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 boom! Oh, no. Man down. Yeah, that's why he's trending. Yeah. So, oh, keep, he tweet, keep tweeted the table. That out. That's good. Stick All right. with the table. Why don't we stage a big fall from me? Stage. That's one. how you go viral. You want to go through the table? I'll do whatever. I'll trip. I'll fall. You know, whatever it might be. Whatever. Anything to help us go viral here. I mean, I, I, I will. Podcast. I will get with multiple other strong people. And we will put you through one of these tables if you want. I'm down. Let's do it. Um, so we're going to play a game here for everybody watching on YouTube. I want you to write into the chat the um, anybody that you recognize that walks behind us here. Okay, we right. got Nate Burleson's like right here. Like to a Where's our, Waldo for... Uh, it's like Where's Waldo. Yeah. Especially if you see Mike Sando uh, <laughs> yes. from The Athletic because he's everywhere. You'll definitely be able to see him at some point, uh-huh. I promise. Uh, Greg Cosell's right over here. So just let us know who you see in the background here yep if you're on youtube so anyway we're going to do our super bowl preview finally we'll talk a little eagles and chiefs and then we will get into something very important here it is the biggest draft rumor from radio row yeah biggest draft rumor there might be a might be somebody in the shot did she go i don't know let us know who you see there's some people wasn't that um sam i don't know sam ponder I don't I know. I think that just walked by. I'm trying to be professional here and stick to the task at hand. If you I'm can not. do that, that'd be great. I'm not at all. I get mesmerized. Yeah. Over here. Famous people. Famous Starstruck. people everywhere. I just think it's a fun game for people looking in the background here. Okay. All right, let's get into the Super Bowl, man. We got the Chiefs and the Eagles. It's our last game preview of the year. You, bo- you and I have both previewed it quite a bit the entire yeah. week. So what are you looking for in this one? Well, this has unexpectedly become a conversation about which team is about to spawn a, a dynasty or a dynasty, you know? I've been asked a few times this week, if the Chiefs win, is this it? Is this the next official dynasty? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes Dan O from the top rope saying that if the Eagles don't create a dynasty from this point, he'd be disappointed. So it's, I mean, they, it's dynasty bowl. They've been in a Super Bowl one year in a row. Yeah. And so that would be, you know, that's, that's how it spawns. It's got to start with one before you get to five. Exactly. You know? Is this a dynasty for the Chiefs if they win? No. Okay. It's two Super Bowls. Does that that can't stack up to the 49ers, the Patriots, you probably the Cowboys? Need a three. Right. But there's this level of consistency, not only being in the AFC Championship and right. hosting it five straight years, being in three Super Bowls in four years, three out of five with Mahomes as the starter. So yeah, I mean they're the closest thing that we've seen since the Patriots, which is yeah. You know, but I think back to back with the Patriots, it feels to me like you need a starting point of three before the word dynasty can be applied. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't, can you, you can't have a dynasty that just contains two Super Bowls, can you? Mm, probably not, unless it is... I mean, no. has there been one? Let's say there needs to be three. Can, like, can you think of one? In, like Dallas Cowboys, 49ers, Anytime you talk Pittsburgh dynasty, Steelers, it's 90s New England Co- Patriots. Patriots, 90s Cowboys, Niners in the 80s, right. Steelers there's, in the 70s. There's never been one, right, that has just, quote-unquote, just two Super Bowl wins. No. Right. So, there, uh, so, so a, then no. So that's a good Immediately. rule. Immediately. It's a good rule. Um, I'm going to tweet out that we're that we're live. live here and see if anybody wants to uh, play Where's Waldo with us. You think there's free Subway sandwiches in that thing? We get one of those? Where's that? It's just gone by behind us. Oh, I might go follow. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go follow the Subway. <laughs> I'm hungry, man. Yeah. Missed breakfast. Um, 
we just went. I showed you my old office, by the way. This yes. Morning. Your old office. Over uh-huh. in Scottsdale. Yeah. Baseball stadium. It was pretty. It was nice. It was nice. Yeah. We mm-hmm. went to Scottsdale Stadium, home of the San Francisco Giants, and you got to see the very place where I was a major league baseball player. I did. I did. The bullpen that I sat in. Yep. For 18 innings. Actually, 19 innings. We went extras one game. How long is that, time-wise? Uh, it's about six hours. Okay. Six hours. I was a major leaguer. Sat in the bullpen. Yeah. Didn't have to do anything. Didn't even get up to throw. Didn't do anything. Never got into the game. But I was a major leaguer right just, there. Showed you my office. Just sat down for six hours. Yeah. Beautiful. It was great. Dan Patrick show was down over there recording live from the stadium. Beautiful setup there. Yep. So let's get back to the game. Talking points for the Chiefs and the Eagles. I think a lot of the high-level stuff is saying, hey, the Eagles are the better team, but the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. We've seen people say, actually, the Chiefs are better than you think. There's these trench matchups that are fantastic. What are the, what's like the biggest storyline for you besides the dynasty, dynasty stuff? Well, that, yeah, that, that's been one common theme throughout this week. The other common theme has been that perception. I mean, the line started immediately favoring Kansas City and then very quickly was bet towards Philadelphia. And then Philadelphia have been consistently favored throughout the entire week. Um, and that's kind of been the story. And that the narrative, I think, in media row, radio row, backs that up. Everybody's kind of saying, well, yes, Kansas City has Mahomes, they have Kelsey, but the, the Eagles have the better roster top to bottom, and that's why they're favorite, and it makes sense. Um, I've kind of felt all along that I don't know that it does. I, it might be true that Philadelphia has a better roster top to bottom. I agree with the people that say that's probably overstated. And even if it isn't, I don't know that it's enough to offset the fact that your starting point for Kansas City is Andy Reid, Patrick uh, Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey. If that's your starting point, I'm very reluctant to make that team an underdog against anybody. I think people are using better roster as synonymous with the thing I've been saying all year, which is the Eagles have multiple ways to win, right? There are certain games where it's the run game running for 250 yards. We saw them run for about 350 against the Packers. There are games where they literally only threw it to A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and said, we're just going to let our receivers win because that's what the game plan dictates. There are games when Jalen Hurts runs the ball 15 times. There's games when the pass rush dominates and has six sacks. There's games when the coverage unit is excellent. That's why I think people are looking at the Eagles as the better team. I was talking to a guy earlier this week. I, I don't know the guy's name. Maybe Solf does if he hears this off to the side. But this grizzled old veteran of the gambling space, right, from Believe down there. And apparently this guy claims that he is the dude who Matthew McConaughey's character in Two for the Money was based on, right? So you know the way Lee Steinberg <laughs> yeah. is supposed to be Jerry Maguire? Yeah, yeah. Well, this guy yeah. was supposed to be Matthew McConaughey from Two for the Money. And I was explaining to him that we had cracked the code of the best betting edge in the world, which is fading your picks. Um, excuse me while I hide my credential again, lest I get oh, arrested yeah, the, for the third two time. Two strikes. Two strikes already. Uh, so he was, he, I was telling him that, and he was saying, you want the secret to making money? I was like, yes. Yes, yes. So he says, right, the lines for the game come out 1245 on a Sunday, right? Write them down. As soon as they come out, write them all down. You might be able to use a computer these days. Who knows? Write them down. You can type them, Take too. note of what the line is when it starts. From that moment on, it's going to move. It's going to get bet in one direction or other by the money coming in. And then right before the game, look at where it started, look at where it is now, and take the opposite of where it moved to. Because that will put you against John Q. Public because John Q. Public is a moron. Really? And that way, you might lose a week or two here or there, but over time, over time. you win your money. So my point being with this, the Chiefs started off as favorites. As soon as this line came out, the Chiefs are favored, and then the money bet it towards Philadelphia, and it's never come back. So stick with what it was originally. They had it right. Wow. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I mean, we're giving it away. I'm probably picking the Chiefs in this one anyway. I am as well. You're going to go – so you're going to – you're going to go with me in the biggest game of the year. You're going to. I'm going with Matthew McConaughey over there. I mean, yeah, go with Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a great idea. I mean, it's a great concept, right? The because uh, the line does move because of the people, right? Because yeah. of the public. Obviously, there's the the big fish that will move the move the line as well. But um, when you that's because it's kind of like where all the buzz goes, right? Because we just saw the Eagles crush the Niners, even though it was not. A real game, basically. Right. They had, you know, third-string quarterbacks, and then a quarterback who need, might need Tommy John surgery, play the rest of the game. 
a lot of times that affects things too, right? Because the Eagles just came off the biggest win, and that's what affects perception, whereas the Chiefs only beat the Bengals by three. And there's definitely this narrative that the Eagles are a better team overall than the Chiefs. Um, how about the trench battle with the Eagles' pass rush going up against this Chiefs' offensive line? has to be the best matchup in this entire game. The, all the pressures that the Eagles have going up against the Chiefs' offensive line, which, by the way, remember two years ago, it was the whole that was the story. The yeah. Chiefs' offensive line, they were beat up, they were banged up, they got wrecked by the Bucks, and then the Chiefs made moves that said, never again, never again are we going to put Matt Patrick Mahomes in this situation. And even though I criticized it a little bit at the time, it's gotten them back to the Super Bowl, and never again has it happened. Mahomes has had his best two offensive lines over these last two seasons. Yeah, like there's a lot of talk that this is a mismatch in Philadelphia in Philadelphia's favor, and I think to an extent it is, but we're not going to see what we saw that Super Bowl where Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs' offensive line was just completely overwhelmed by the Bucks, and he was swamped, and he was running for his life, and he had no shot over the course of that game. That's not going to happen. The... The line that he has right now is too good, right? Particularly that interior trio is a real strength, and they might even have parity or even an advantage against Philadelphia. Um, and even though the edge, the, the, the two tackles versus Philadelphia's edge rushers, that's a little bit more of a problem, I don't think that's enough to cause the same kind of collapse that we saw in that last game. So I think immediately we're talking about a different kind of scenario. But... I do think that those edge rushers for Philadelphia are a significant advantage for a couple of reasons. Number one, first and foremost, they're better players, right? Brandon Graham, Hassan Reddick, they are better players than Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley. They just are. So starting point, they're better. They should win. Secondly, I think very specifically, they are a kind of body type problem for those types of players, right? Brandon Graham is tiny he's a short dude squat low to the ground Orlando Brown is not that guy's a mad mountain so for him to get down to try and block a leverage problem like Brandon Graham I think is an issue and then obviously Hassan Reddick was so small they tried to make him an off the ball linebacker when he first came into the NFL he's a fast quick twitch small speedy edge rusher again that's a problem for a guy like Wiley I think that's a huge advantage stylistically and performance-wise for, for the Philadelphia edge rushers specifically. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. So I've been fighting that narrative a little bit this year, this week, that the pass rush of the Eagles, which is really good, by the way, yeah. I've been essentially saying, will they get negated, right? Because this Kansas City offense, it's not the big play offense that they were early in Mahomes' career as far as downfield passing goes, right? It's a shorter passing attack, um, more yards after the catch than any team in the league by far. Um, and, it's, and again, this isn't a knock on Mahomes or anything. That's just the way the offense was, right? I mean, the last year at this time, we were saying two high shells. You can't, you know, that's how you stop Mahomes. But him and Andy Reid, they've adjusted this year. So the short passing game, getting the ball to everybody in space, that's how the Chiefs do it. The Eagles like to play the two high shell. They like to invite the run or invite the short pass. Is it kind of the Chiefs now strength their style style against style right is this going to play into the Chiefs hands where Mahomes is going to get rid of the ball quickly and then all of a sudden you know it's it negates those pass rushers a little bit where do you stack up this Philadelphia pass rush um, both sort of generally league-wide in the last few years but also specifically compared with the last time this team was in the Super Bowl the, the Eagles yeah the because, last, because the last time they were in Fletcher Cox was the, the best player besides Aaron Donald at yes, his position. Because this pass rush is on track with a big game. I, they're not going to do this, I don't think, but with a huge game sack-wise, they could break the all-time record in a single season, right? So they're that, they're that kind of level from a sack point of view, from a sack rate, from a sack total kind of point of view. They are, like, all-time great. But I don't think this is as good a pass rushing group as the last time they were in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I don't think it's quite at that level, but I think the sacks have come disproportionately in their favor relative to that team. Yeah, so I, I think, again, just to repeat myself for the millionth time on this podcast, that's how we do it, but the, the history of the Eagles over the last seven or eight years is pretty distinct and clear. They've always had a good pass rush. They've always had a good offensive line. 
Two years they've made it to the Super Bowl 2017, and this year the coverage unit has been better. So I think it is it is the marriage of pass rush and coverage that makes the Eagles special this year. That's why you have the sack totals. Remember, when you go back to that uh, the Titans game where they sacked Tannehill six times or when they sacked um, uh, they sacked Andy Dalton six or seven times, a bunch of those were on the quarterback or, more importantly, from the Eagles' perspective, taking away the first read, right? That's where they are very good. So that's where I think if they can do that, with Mahomes, right? I'm oversimplifying, say, well, Mahomes wants to get rid of the ball quickly, and the Eagles give up the underneath stuff, but the Eagles do challenge the short passes despite the too high shell. They'll challenge those, take away the first read, and that gives the pass rush time to get home, right? And the way we judge pass rush is by wins and losses, but the sack totals come with the coverage unit taking away first reads. That is why I think the Eagles have had all those sacks, right? It's the marriage of the two. So I don't think the pass rush, to your point, is drastically better than 2017, or even just the last six or seven years of Eagles pass rushes. Right. It's what they've done in the secondary with Darius Slay, James Bradbury, all of those linebackers. So if they could take away the short passes from Kansas City, they do have a chance to get home. And so the real story is not so much pass rush versus pass blocking. It's the Eagles who tackle the quarterback, which is called a sack, and Patrick Mahomes, who never gets tackled behind the quarterback, right, he, behind the line of scrimmage, he avoids sacks as well as any quarterback in the league. Right, because that's the fascinating X factor to this, right? We've got Philadelphia's pass rush, Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, who never takes sacks, but usually he's 100% healthy. Now we have this unknown quantity of what is he going to look like health-wise, mobility-wise. How's that ankle going to hinder him, if at all? Um, is he going to be the same guy that's you know almost impossible to track down and get to the ground, or is he playing at 80%? And 80% is the difference between getting away from sacks and not. Right? That I think is a big question. We assume. I think that the longer this goes on, we're sort of assuming we're going to get a Mahomes closer to 100% than you know away from it. But how healthy he is is probably a pretty big factor in whether this pass rush can be a, a real factor in the game. So he's had two weeks to recover from the last time we saw him against the Bengals. It's three weeks since the actual high ankle sprain. Do you think there are any mobility concerns with Mahomes going into Sunday? I I really don't think there will be. I mean, not. Cons- I think it will show up every now and again. I mean, he's not, he's not going to be 100% healthy, but I think he's probably close enough to it that he'll be able to do almost all of what he does. So there you go. Um, so ultimately on this side of the ball, what do you think happens? Chiefs offense, Eagles defense. What's your prediction for this side of the ball? Then we'll then we'll flip. Um, I think I think the Chiefs are good enough. Again, the starting point of Mahomes, Kelsey, Andy Reid. I think the Chiefs are good enough on offense that they will be able to have some success. But I do think that mismatch on the edge is going to cause some problems or, or help Philadelphia control it. So I don't think we're going to see a thirty-plus point offensive dominant performance from the Chiefs I think they're going to be able to get some success some drives going and they'll score something in the 20s the easiest way to get on the action for the big game is underdog fantasy in their pick'em game just pick higher or lower on your favorite Chiefs or Eagles stats for the big game and if you get all your picks right you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night underdog keeps it super simple with their easy to use website and app and they're making it even easier with a special pick for the big game so this already started. We'll see how live it is. Starting yesterday, 10 a.m., you're able to pick a special pick on Jalen Hurts, higher or lower than .5 total yards. That's 0.5 yards. He literally needs one yard in the game in order to go higher. So pair this with at least one other correct pick. That's a max $20 entry, and you could be taking home some cold, hard cash. Go check it out at underdogfantasy.com or find them in the App Store. Don't forget to register with promo code PFF to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. You must be 18 plus and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-522-4700 or visit ncpgambling.org. We're going to be with our friends over at Underdog Fantasy uh, tomorrow. Yeah. They got a fancy house out in the... Uh, they do. Very fancy house. Check out their content as well. They got bus as well. They got the bus. They got all sorts of fun stuff happening over there. We're going to go hang out with our friends Hayden Winks, Josh Norris, and uh, all the Underdog guys. Yeah. So uh, go check that out. Underdog fantasy how's the internet doing right now struggling it's a grind are we still live are we still good um because my internet's not working i've got no my research is gone yeah the internet you, in here is so you make fun of me for right a now. uh what happened 
You make fun. Hmm. Yeah, mine's frozen. I'm frozen. Are we frozen? Great. Excellent. We're great. Um, the one other thing that we'll talk about, because I want to talk about the other side of the ball, the Eagles offense here. You've been – how many radio hits have you and I done this entire week? We say a lot of the same stuff. How many times have you said, hey, what if the Eagles fall behind? We haven't seen yeah. a whole lot of that. So as we go to the Eagles side of the ball, what does that look like? If the Chiefs do go down the field on their first drive, which they tend to do, good script team, they score a touchdown, it's 7 nothing. it's 10 nothing, 14 nothing. Is that going to affect the Eagles and their offensive strategy? Yeah, I do think that's maybe the biggest question in this entire game to answer. Like, we know, I think we know what, what Kansas City is going to do, broadly speaking. They're going to have a reasonable amount of success. They're going to score enough. They're going to, they're going to have some joy. We also know what happens if Kansas City gets in a hole, if the scoreboard goes against them, if the game script goes against them. If anything, they're happier in that scenario than they are normally, right? 10 points down, who cares? 14 points down, who cares? We were, you know, at the other night, and they were showing the San Francisco-Kansas City Super Bowl, and it sort of reminded me how late into that game it got, and they were still in a double-digit hole. They were down 10 with, like, eight minutes left right. or something, right? That's, and it's like yeah. you sort of forget about it, right, because they pulled it out of the fire. Kansas City will do that consistently. We know that. I don't think we know the same thing about Philadelphia this year. They played over 700 snaps with a lead. Remember, every game starts without a lead, so you got to get the lead first. Over 700, it's the most in the NFL this year. It's the most in the league for like five years. It's a huge um, sort of front-running resume that they've had this season. But what happens if Kansas City does to them what has happened to them in the past? They go 10, 14 down, and all of a sudden, first question, does that change the offense, right? Do you... I don't want to say panic, but do you go, uh-oh, we're, we're down, we got to change the game plan, we got to start passing more, we got to go away from essentially what brought us here or what we want to do in this game? That's the first question. And then if, if the answer to that is yes, can they do that? We know that Philadelphia gets a lot of explosive pass plays that they can pass, but when that's the game plan from the outset, are they as equipped to do that? And also, is Jalen Hurts equipped to do that post-shoulder injury? Because he is not looked the same from a passing point of view since he got hurt. And while all the focus is on Mahomes and his ankle, I think Jalen Hurts and his shoulder might actually be a bigger uh, question. Yeah, and I, look, I I think the Eagles are going to want to run the ball regardless, right? Of course. So even if they're down two scores, the Chiefs are such a fascinating defense because there are games where they look really good. There are games where they've gotten wrecked. Um, I think they've landed pretty much dead smack in the middle as a team, which we've always said during the Mahomes era. If you're going to put that many points on the board, creep back toward average on the defensive side. Don't just just don't have that defense like they had his rookie season, which was bottom five, maybe bottom three in the NFL. Um, but they have a run defense that is dead smack in the middle against an Eagles team that has 39 rushing touchdowns, including the playoffs, 14 more than any other team in the NFL. And then you have the Jalen Hurts factor as a runner, right? So you don't only have to win up front. If you're the Eagles, they have the opportunity to win up front with their great offensive line with Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson. But Jalen Hurts is a runner, as we always say, changes the arithmetic up front. So I think it's going to be on the Eagles to, you know, stay within their game plan, create their plays in the run game. And look, even against the Niners, like the Niners did a pretty good job defensively against the Eagles. But then the, the Eagles would just, you know, have a, a wide open 10-yard run, a wide open 12-yard run. It is one of those rushing attacks that can kind of create explosive, create the 10 to 15 yard run if they stick with it. If they do get away from that, I do think it's going to be a challenge for Philadelphia. Yeah, to me, I, there is the scenarios in this game, I think there is a, a definite likelihood that it's a close game and either team is right in it. The Eagles are able to keep the game script where it needs to be and they go toe to toe with Kansas City. I don't think there's really any scenario whereby the, the, the Eagles just crush Kansas City and dominate them and walk out walk away with this game and it's never a contest. I think the Chiefs are too good at making those comebacks and erasing double-digit deficits. But I do think there's a scenario where the opposite happens and Kansas City puts Philadelphia in a hole from which they can't climb out of. Like That, I think, is a real question that the Eagles have to try and avoid. The one thing I'll say, though, and I, I think the ultimate X factor in this whole thing is the Eagles receivers. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith on the outside, 
the same thing we said against, you know, in the Bengals game, the Chiefs are going to play their press coverage. And the Chiefs mix it up, right? They'll play zone, they'll blitz, they'll play, they'll play press man, but they do like to play press man. A.J. Brown is the best what receiver in the league against press. Devontae Smith, a little hit or miss in that, in that respect. But the Eagles making plays on the outside, I think they have to get. As much as the run game is going to – they want to control it and this and that. And uh, run game in the red zone I think is more important, right, when you get close, being effective there and getting into the end zone instead of settling for field goals for Philadelphia. But explosive plays, that is what made, has made them special this year. The, the Eagles, the AJ Brown factor. I've talked a ton about it all year, all week. AJ Brown has has been the person who's transformed this offense. I don't think they're going to have one of. The, I, they don't want one of those games where he has you know three catches for 20 yards. They want one of those games where he's closer to 10 for 150 and a couple scores if they're going to pull this off. The other fascinating matchup I think is Chris Jones essentially yes. against that uh, offensive line for Philadelphia. Best offensive line in the NFL, has been all season long. Every single starter on that line is a top 10 player at their position. But Chris Jones is having or had a defensive player of the year caliber season. He's been an absolute force. He's even better in you know key situations late in the game. He's got eight sacks, nine sacks when in the fourth quarter in overtime this year. That's the most in the NFL. Um, he's got 43 pressures in that period, fourth quarter and overtime, which is 10 more than anybody else in the league, regardless of position. Like Micah Parsons is second uh, with 33, and obviously as an edge rusher, those are crazy numbers. So he's got that kind of Aaron Donald thing for the last couple of years where he just decides, all right, game's on the line now, I'm gonna turn it on, I'm gonna make some plays. He did it in the AFC Championship game. Can he do that against this Philadelphia offensive line? Yeah. Against Cincinnati, it was backup guard Max yeah. Sharping that he continued to just and not, like, either like, bull rush were... right back into the quarterback or you know win quickly off the line, whatever it was. It's going to be a lot more difficult against Philadelphia here. Yeah, but you know it's definitely a, a much bigger test for him this week than it was against those Bengals guys. But like Jones has done it all season long against pretty much everybody. All right, man. Anything else you want to add about this game? So, how do you think that? that um, Spags is going to combat Jalen Hurts? Yeah, so it's a good question. I think it's really, he's always tough to predict, right? Because there is, like the perception around Spags changes all the time, right? There's been points in his career where it's like, oh, he loves to blitz. He'll throw zero blitz at you a ton. There's other times where it's like he loves to play press man or he loves to just play zone. I think ultimately he's going to try to stay sound in the run game and probably rush four, I guess is my guess. Because Hertz is pretty good against the blitz, and not only He's been very good this year, and, and it's not good. It's not just the blitz, because like quarterbacks being good against the blitz is a two-way thing, right? You have to have somebody getting open fairly quickly, or somebody that's winning one-on-ones because those corners are on an island. As our Giants friends were talking about yesterday, go check out yesterday's show, by the way. Julian Love, Adoree Jackson, we we're talking about Wink Martindale. Kept calling his system crazy mm. to them. Mm-hmm. I, I meant that in an, as an endearing term. Sure, They're aggressive. I meant crazy it, in the best possible way. It leaves those DBs who were sitting right here yesterday, leaves them on an island. I don't think Spags wants to do that. I think he's going to play it safe, maybe invite, not invite the run, but um, you know, play your shell coverages so they're not giving up those explosives to running backs. I think they – that's what's interesting. I think the Eagles – I think the Chiefs kind of want the Eagles to run it, and the Eagles also really? want to run it. Yeah, I don't think I, the Chiefs want to give up the explosives either. I to actually, AJ Brown and uh, Devontae Smith. I kind of think the exact opposite is going to happen. I, I sort of feel that Spags is going to go hyper-aggressive in this game. So the Eagles are this really interesting offense because the way teams have been attacking them is sort of almost counterintuitive. Like, they've got A.J. Brown on the outside. They've got Devontae Smith. They've got Jalen Hurts. They're incredibly good at explosive plays. So why do they face so much man coverage, right? It doesn't make any sense. Why are teams not playing these two high-coverage shells to take away the explosive plays? Well, it's because they have the number one offensive line in the NFL. They've got Jalen Hurts as part of the design run game. They've got one of the best running games out there. So they basically force you to stack the box to try and stop this crushing run game. And then they go, bam, and hit you over the top with something that's come off the back of that. I feel like Spags is going to go out there and say, we are going to shut your run game down. We are going to make Jalen Hurts pass to win this game and we're going to attack him. We're going to throw everything towards the line of scrimmage, and we're going to gamble on the back end a little bit. Maybe we'll play press man and bump and run and all that kind of stuff, but we're going to make you try and win this game in a way you don't want to win it. You want to go out there, establish the run, shorten the game, 
all the things that we've been talking about with this offense, I'm going to take that away. And even, you know, you think a lot of the times when he was part of that defense that uh, beat the Patriots, you know, we sort of think of that NASCAR defense of the four guys up front and winning with just four, but they blitzed a lot in those games. They were sort of surprisingly effective with the blitz because they were so good with that front four, it was like, oh, it's just four guys winning the whole time. But they also dialed up the blitz. They mixed it up, right. They were just crazy aggressive. Like, they really came after them. And it was the sum of that. It was the totality of that aggression of elite pass rushers plus the blitz that really caused the problems. I I really feel that they're just going to go, we're going to make you do this under pressure, whatever that takes. Yeah, and I can see that being the third down play, right? Mixing it up on third down and everything. So if it plays out like you're saying, what I said earlier about this comes down to A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith or right. Wes Watkins behind the defense, that's what it comes down to, And, and right? by the way, as good as Jalen Hurts has been against the Blitz, and he has been good this season, uh, eight touchdowns, two interceptions, uh, seven yards per attempt, uh, a PFF grade of 72.5, he hasn't been good under pressure, right? And yeah. I think they're going to sort of feel that in order to get one, we got to do the other and hope that it meets in the middle somewhere and we can get the bad play by just being super aggressive and dialing up the blitz sometime. So I think they are going to want to try and put Jalen Hurts under pressure, whatever that takes. Um, the one other thing going to the other side of the ball really quick, our friend Dr. Eager, who was running around here um, on Radio Row earlier in the week, yeah, he uh, he's in tune with the Chiefs, and he keeps saying, you know, Andy Andy's play calling is going to be diabolical, right? Like he, uh, There's this perception from Chiefs fans that Andy Reid saves the best stuff for the big games, right? He, he, he's a little... He's lazy in the average games, right? He doesn't he doesn't pull out the uh, the the merry-go-round huddle, uh, you know, <laughs> until the big game. Even though he did that in a random right. game against the Raiders, so maybe the perception's not reality. How much do you think that's going to be a factor in this game too? The trickeration, the mixing it up, just against the Bengals in the first drive, they did pretty much everything on their script. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think there is some merit to the idea that um, that Andy Reid, with time to work brings out some pretty special stuff you know I think that I that stat for years that was there of how good he was you know with a with a bye week coming off a bye week it it exists it's real it's not a figment of their imagination it's never going to be 100% throughout his entire career but Andy Reid with time to work is going to dial up some stuff that's going to cause you problems but I do think to an extent that sort of advantage is offset by the fact that Nick Sirianni is probably better in game in game situations the fourth down stuff the fact that the Eagles with the double cheek push, essentially have this cheat code on fourth and short. Like they are, they have the perfect combination of what we've talked about for ages, which is, do you have the statistical profile, the analytics, the the, the department to give you the right call, you know, go, no go, but they also have the play call to back it up, right? So they're gonna get it when they go for it. They're not gonna dial up some ridiculous call that's not gonna work 50% of the time. When they go for those decisions, they're converting. So. As much as Andy Reid has the advantage, I think, before the game kicks off and however long his script lasts, I think Sirianni might sort of offset a lot of that with the, the kind of in-game, analytics-driven decision-making. Let's discuss that as well. I mean, Andy Reid had a, a rough challenge in the Bengals game, right? And those, it didn't come back to bite, but we know how important timeouts are at the end, challenges, the idiot rule that if you... If you're one for two in challenges, you're out of them, right? If you're two for two, you get a third one. Um, all of that stuff is so huge, obviously, in the big games. Timeout management, and then the fourth down stuff. We know the Eagles are going to be aggressive. We know that they won their Super Bowl in 2017 because Doug Peterson was going for fourth and ones and fourth and fives. Philly special. It's an organizational philosophy. Nick Sirianni's carried it on. Will that end up being the difference in this game? And, oh, by the way, when the Chiefs beats the 49ers – there were people criticizing Kyle Shanahan for being a little bit too conservative against the explosive Chiefs sure. offense that eventually did negate a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a real factor, um, is how those two coaches are going to be. But I don't think it's a dramatic win for either guy. I think Andy Reid's going to bring his A game. I think Nick Sirianni in-game brings a lot of good stuff to the table as well. All right, so the line right now, minus one and a half the Eagles favored by one and a half points we know that the difference between one and a half either way is not massive over under is 49 and a half let's make picks for both the game you already said Chiefs yeah Kansas City wins outright I'll say Chiefs I've been saying 27 24 all week which apparently is the most common score prediction really 
Yeah, I nailed the most common score prediction when I got interviewed by one of the uh, the betting sites over here. Okay. For their social media. So what? So we're picking Chiefs. We're both picking Chiefs. What was the other thing we're picking? Forty-nine and a half over under. Under. Forty-nine and a half. Uh, PFF app likes uh, the over better than the under. No, I'm going under. I'm gonna take the over because I said 27-24, right? That's fifty-one. Is that right? Is my math good there? That's fifty-one. Okay. So I've said over on my twenty-seven to twenty-four. So that's prediction. an extra. That's a bonus pick we can get, which can really help. I need really a bonus help. of about <laughs> a hundred picks. You are currently forty-five games under five hundred, so you need some. You need some real bonus points from that one. A lot of distractions over here on a lot radio. Of a lot of distractions over here. Wouldn't you agree, Gordon? It's distracting sometimes when you're trying to work. You know what I mean? Just saying. So that's the game done. That's the game. Now let's move on to the draft. The draft rumors. Now we segue around. to the draft because the stuff that's happening on Radio Row here, we're hearing rumors. Media Row. We're hearing a media row. We're hearing a lot of stuff. So um, what's the biggest one that we wanted to uh, discuss here that we've heard here on Media Row here? Sam? I think it's the draft quarterbacks. Um, everybody's talking about, you know, Bryce Young is the number one quarterback in the draft and how that's going to work. But all of a sudden we're hearing Will Levis coming up on the rails, the prototypical size toolsy guy. Is he going to jump Bryce Young and actually be the first quarterback off the board? So we've, we've believed – Bryce Young. We've ranked Bryce Young as the top one from a P uh, top quarterback from a PFF standpoint. Um, you and I have watched the quarterbacks, and we believe Bryce Young's the top guy. You know, I've talked to some people who do believe the NFL is gonna, you know, get in there and start breaking him down from a height perspective and yeah. picking him apart a little bit. And then again, the rumor that. So I've also heard other people say. Like other sites say, well, C.J. Stroud's the top guy. Like the, the, you know, they're going to get C.J. Stroud. That's who the Texans want, C.J. Stroud. And, and he's here running around here somewhere. Justin Fields is around here somewhere. So um, never know. Might see him in Where's Waldo. So people are saying C.J. Stroud might be the guy. I've also heard people be like, do you really like, yeah, Stroud's going to go top five or ten, but is he the guy that you're going to win because of, right? I mean, that's, that's going to be the big question. We've seen Jared Goff comps. We've just – all the comps for C.J. Stroud land in this middle class – of quarterback, which is valuable on a first contract, but like it lands in this not a transcendent quarterback uh, spot. And then we're hearing Will Levis is the guy that could go number one. Yep. Because of the tools, the size. The production wasn't there this year, but he was good in 2021. So what are your thoughts? Do you think that ends up being the case here for uh, the number one overall pick? Or, yeah. well, or whoever ends up going up to number one? So to me, there's two different areas. I think you start with the tape. And I think that uh, Bryce Young has by far comfortably the best tape of any of the available quarterbacks. I think if you just looked at that in isolation, forget physical tools for a minute and just say, watch the tape, how do you rank these guys? Bryce Young is the clear number one guy. He's way ahead of C.J. Stroud. He's significantly ahead of Will Levis. And comparing him to Anthony Richardson is not even comparing like two guys that are playing the same position. So that would be my starting point, right? Bryce Young is clearly the best quarterback available. Now you get into, all right, what are the sort of red flags or what are the things that could act as a check against that tape that might change your opinion? And obviously size, physical tools, NFL viability, these are the kinds of things that come up, right? And we knew all the way along, like, what does he listed at? Six foot, 190, something like that, which is not great but not terrible right like if that was what he ended up measuring at six foot 190 you're like all right we've seen this before this is doable this is drew Brees kind of size this is all right it's a little bit smaller than baker mayfield but it's within the margins right right but every picture you see of him he looks a lot smaller than that like there's a photo out there of him standing next to kyla murray he looks shorter than kyla murray he looks a lot Slighter, he's not shorter than Kyler. Murray. He does. Look at the picture. He looks shorter than Kyler Murray. He looks slighter than Kyler Murray, which means if that holds up, we're talking like 5'10", 180? Isn't Kyler's closer to five eight? Isn't he? Five Kyler, eight. Yeah, like Kyler's been able to get away with it because he's got a cannon for an arm, unbelievable athlete, and he's he's stocky. Whatever you say about you know. I made one little joke on Twitter. I still love Kyler Murray. Great player. Great yeah. player. Um, but he, you know, we we had Kyler as the number one overall pick. We were fine with that. 
oh wow, they are close. Yeah. See? And they that's not close. the worst one. There's another one that makes them look even shorter than that. They are close. If we were in the studio, you could send that picture to Tyler and he could throw it right up, but yeah. it'll get there by uh, Tuesday morning with this dial-up we're on here. So, so um, anyway, my point yeah. being, like, he the is going to be critical because he doesn't have the same physical special tools that Kyler Murray has. But my point being, so we're not just talking about a short or small quarterback anymore. We are talking about an extreme version of that. Like Kyler we are, did measure 5'10", 207, the chat. Right. We are talking, us. we are way out in the boundaries of this. Like, we are talking about a, basically an unprecedented size of quarterback to be taking a guy that high. And Kyler Murray was the last one of those guys, but because of all the special that he brought to the table, it was kind of ignored. We were, we, were, we were okay with it. And I think we've discovered after, you know, so far of Kyler Murray's career, it is a factor, you know? So yeah, it probably, affects your ability to throw to the middle of the field right. and various things. We're probably lower on Kyler Murray now than we were at draft time in terms of how important the size thing was going to be for him at the next level. So I think that extreme version of his size, whatever he's going to end up being, and the reports are he's trying to like pack on pounds for the combine and weigh 190 or 200 or whatever. I mean, nobody cares because they're like, look, dude, you, ran, you showed up here with 25 pounds of water weight you're not running. We know this is fake. You weigh 180 pounds. Get out. Like, I'm also trying thing. to pack on pounds before the combine. Sure. I'm trying to get ready for St. Elmo's. Yeah. But my point being, teams are going to look at that and, and not take them off the board, but there are teams that want no part of that. And the teams that want no part of that, the next guy they're going to turn to is Levis. Explain to people what happened this week where we saw some of the prototypical quarterbacks running around here, right? Carson Palmer was here on Media Row. Ryan Leaf was around here they were pretty close to each other at one point yeah and we from this desk from our you know from where we sit always joke about how do nfl evaluators get suckered into that how do they do that right you know trust the tape trust what you see don't get blinded by this dude six four six five two thirty five and looks looks the part but you looked at them and like i could see where teams might say I, this guy right like this guy looks like it yeah i mean when you see the kind of size of a lot of NFL quarterbacks, you're just you're reminded sort of how insane these guys are from a size, strength, physicality standpoint, right? Whether it's Ryan Leaf, Carson Palmer, um, Boomer Esiason, you know, we've Boomer been on the show, dude's huge. Huge, right. Um, we play, we, we, the, we uh, most of these guys are really, really big, strong dudes. And it's not like it, it means everything, but when you then stand next to a guy like Cody Kessler, right? That's like... You are so far behind these guys from a from just a physical tool set standpoint. You've got so far to overcome. Like they're, they're huge, and you're really not. Like just comparing them, it's like how are you playing the same position as these guys? And given that you are, it's just so obvious how much they need to overcome to try and offset that kind of uh, size and physicality differential. So. When you have a Will Levis, who is that prototype, prototypical, big, strong, cannon, at some point he's going to stand next to Bryce Young, and teams are going to look at that and be like, wow, how sure are we that this tape is amazing because that's a lot to get to be okay with. We're and, and we're also still in this time period. You know, Levis can run the ball a little bit. We're still in this time period, the recency bias of Josh Allen went from inaccurate college quarterback to developing with incredible tools. Justin Herbert improved at the NFL level. Patrick Mahomes improved at the NFL level, right? Some of these guys that were considered projects after years of projects never working and only burning right. general managers, there's four or five quote-unquote projects who have worked over the last few years. Uh, you might say a Zach Wilson bucked that trend a little bit. Yeah, he was a project, he was toolsy, but a little. it's still different from the 6'4", 230-pound dude with a cannon. So... It's going to be interesting, but it's all coming out of here on Radio Row where we've we've generally spoken from this assumption that Bryce Young is yeah. the best player, and I don't think we're going to come off that take that he's the best player in the draft, mm -hmm. the most, the guy that you would want at QB1. It does seem like maybe but Will I, Levis is gaining some steam here. Yeah, and I am starting to become more and more convinced that there are enough teams out there that are going to be scared away from the extreme nature of Bryce Young's size and will pivot towards Will Levis if that happens. Like, he's the next guy. I don't love I – mean, people are going to talk about C.J. Stroud. He's, what, 6'3", 215, something like that, 210. 
Like he's much more prototypical size-wise than Bryce Young is, but I am scared the most of C.J. Stroud's kind of process stuff. Like that offense is not great to diagnose things. It was the same issue with Justin Fields, but also he's not good under pressure with the exception of that Georgia game. I don't love the way he works through a progression and, and kind of gets uh, sort of shows fundamentals from a, a mental processing standpoint anyway he's the guy that would scare me the most of drafting him high like you know already that a guy like Anthony Richardson is a massive project you're kind of starting with a ball of clay you're supposed to get something much more advanced in CJ Stroud and I don't know that you are so I don't think teams are going to him if they're away from Bryce Young I think teams are focusing in on Levis when you t let's wrap it up with this when you talk about some of those limitations with players if it's fields and the same question mark you mentioned with Stroud is he working quickly enough through progressions? The offense has great receivers. You just kind of like wait for them to get open and throw it. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that they can't do it. It just right. means that they don't have to exactly. at Ohio it's, State. It's not. But, but my point is, Fields had special tools to fall back on. Yeah. Arm and now, what we, I mean, athleticism that we knew, but like special athleticism that we know now. Stroud doesn't necessarily have that. And from the same lens, though, Bryce Young might not have the same special tools that a Kyler Murray has to offset the height and that's where those those limitations maybe uh magnify a little bit because yeah. the other stuff isn't as good as some of the other recent prospects it's it, like it's a good point to make that it isn't necessarily a knock on cj stroud it is the offense makes it very difficult to tell so it's it's the same kind of problem with fields where there's so many plays where the process within that offense is drop back stare down a target wait for him to get open which he will because of the receivers involved because of the route concepts that they're running and the defenses involved and then just hit him with an accurate pass right almost all of his big plays are the same it's like single route all i'm interested in then just drop it in a bucket against a, a, a play that's going to be open and it doesn't mean that he can't do the other stuff but it means that you have a really small sample size of him actually doing that and generally he hasn't been great at it when he has been asked to do it and that just scares me away from taking a guy like that at the top of the draft, which I think was the case with Justin Fields and why he slipped relative to the rest of the quarterbacks in that draft and whether or not he then proves that he can do it. And, you know, it, it, that's why those guys are going to slip. And my point is that is why I think Will Levis is going to be the guy if somebody overtakes Bryce Young. And I think there is a real chance at this point that Will Levis ends up going number one overall. Andy Reid just walked by. Fake Andy Reid, yeah. Did anybody get that in the chat? Did everybody see Andy Reid? Andy! Come on. Come on. Just bring your script. He's not answering. He's yeah. not answering me. He's not answering me. Where's Waldo is fun here. Um, somebody, our, our friend Drew in the chat is asking you if yeah, there's any sort of uh, correlation between height and injuries. And, no, um, it's the opposite, in fact. It's a negative correlation. But the but there's, there's you know, uh, sampling bias, of course, when it yeah. comes to... Um, I mean, I only think a it, handful of shorter quarterbacks actually play. That's not the concern with short quarterbacks to me, or, or even to NFL teams, I think, anymore. It, it's not a case of a small guy is going to get hurt. It's a case of a small guy, you're going to have to play the game differently than a normal, quote-unquote, normal quarterback. You're going to have to taller. Play, right. And you've seen it. Like it, it, it restricts you from targeting certain areas. Like Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray – these guys have not been good in their careers at targeting the middle of the field, which generally speaking is the majority of what an NFL quarterback is doing, right? So if you're not going to be good at doing that, you need to come up with, you need to be amazing at something else to make it a net win, right? Russell Wilson was arguably the best deep ball thrower in the NFL for the majority of his career, so it was okay. But A, now he isn't necessarily, and B, the league might be kind of catching up to that and how to defend it, and all of a sudden that's an issue. Kyler Murray is obviously special from an athletic standpoint and what he can bring rushing, but again, they have struggled to find the perfect balance of how to deal with that. So if you're bringing in a guy like, C with like uh, Bryce Young and you say extreme version of size, short, slight, he's, if he's going to be weak over the middle of the field, wh what is my trump card that means he's still going to be a great quarterback? All right, man. So we're hearing Will, Will Levis, number one overall. Uh, by the way, my mom got fooled. She just texted me. She thought that was Andy Reid as well. Yeah. Completely fooled. Um, knowing, knowing how difficult it is to get into Media Row and the fact that you, we almost had to get the FBI and Homeland Security involved yeah. just because you misplaced your credential 
two days ago. To be fair, I was in at that point. You were already in. How does fake Andy Reid go about getting his credential? Like, what, what what's your role? I'm an impersonator of the Super Bowl coach. Yeah. Uh, sure, man. Yeah, I have it. Yeah, you're good. And then he goes facial recognition. It's like, oh, there's fake Andy Reid. What? Well, it's a good test of how accurate the, uh, you know, the the computer, the AI is. Can it actually differentiate between Andy Reid and fake Andy Reid? Does it Reed? scan and say, this is Andy Reid? Right. Andy Reid's here. Of course you can get in. Yeah. Is he coming in as Andy Reid or fake Andy Reid? Right. It's a good question. I don't know the answer to it's it. It's intense over here trying to get in, and we got just, you know, impersonators just to, walking around. Just to put a bow on this draft quarterback thing. Do it. Do you think, who do you think goes number one based off this point in time of the quarterbacks, assuming one does? I'll still, I'm going to still go with Bryce Young that he goes number one. The other fascinating thing, too, is it's not just the Bears. It's not the Bears making the choice, most likely. I mean, it's not the Bears making the choice, right? right? It's going to be either the Texans at two or the Colts. So now we're trying to figure out who's Nick Casario. I, I kind of feel like Nick Casario and the Texans might go at the 6-4-2-30. What, what is Jim Irsay going to go with? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the list of teams that are going to be intrigued by the big toolsy guy is pretty extensive. Uh, I'll stick with Bryce Young for now because I think the evaluation should should win in the end, but yeah, I'm not going to be surprised either way. I think that there is now a pretty healthy chance that Will Levis goes number one overall. But so you're believing the buzz. But I'm not yet willing to say it's a bigger chance than Bryce Young goes number one. So I'm like 40-60 that it's still going to be Bryce Young. 40-60. Yeah. All right, there we go. Let us know in the chat who's going to go number one overall at quarterback. It's draft season. It's off-season season. And it's also season, season. Super Bowl season. Big game. Super, Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Stop me. It's Sando season. Sando. Anybody see Sando yet on this? The offseason is Sando season. It is Sando season. The guy's everywhere. That guy is everywhere. Mike Sando, the athletic. Anyway, I just want to wrap this up because we've been here five straight days of shows. We've done some different stuff. We appreciate everybody that's always tuning in, that's always a part of this. Um, We're going to be cranking up the shows all the way through the draft. So be sure you not only hit the thumbs up on today's show, mm. subscribe to the channel. You yep. want to be if you're not subscribed to the channel, you want to make sure that you're getting all this stuff, and then hit the uh, the bell. Right, that's the notification. Like, hey, PFF NFL podcast is live because some ho- sometime hopefully we're taking over the entire channel. It's just us. So you want to get all those notifications when we're going, um, and check out all the stuff throughout the week. It's some different stuff, some interviews. Um, even if it doesn't sound attractive in the title necessarily, we had some great stuff with the Giants defensive backs yesterday, um, our talk with uh, Bussin' with the Boys guys on Wednesday. So a lot of great stuff all throughout Media Row this entire week here yeah, at I mean, the Super Bowl. The interviews that we had, particularly yesterday, were fascinating. Dr. Alan Sills talking about concussions. Emmett Smith gave us tequila. Emmett was on great. A lot yep. of cool stuff. So go check it out. If you haven't seen the previous shows or listened to the previous shows, go check those out as well. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. We're going to be recapping the Super Bowl. We're going to try to do it as close to right after the game as possible, Sunday night, Monday morning, and then we'll be back in the studio next week. At some point. Yeah. At some point. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. Enjoy Super Bowl 57. We'll see you guys Sunday night.